That's good. All right. Well, how about this? We'll gather together in prayer and we'll begin. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, your son, when he came to earth, showed us the way, the truth and the life. As we try to unpack this in our day to day decisions, help us to understand what it means to choose right and to not choose wrong. Lord Jesus, as we enter here at your name and you are present among us, we ask you to clarify, uh, to encourage us as we choose and understand the moral life. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. I hope your RCA is going well. We're switching, you know, different teachers, different weeks. Um, you get different views of different people's uh, spirituality, the reason why they are in the Catholic Church. Uh, the reason why they believe, the reason why they're Christians. So hopefully you're able to get just a different look from the different teachers um, about their connection to Christ, their connection to God. Um, hopefully your questions are getting answered. Um, and yeah, this evening we are joined by our new parochial vicar. Sorry if you wanted to remain like just in the background, but uh, Father Sita. So hi, Father Sita. I'll clap. Um, so, uh, so he's from Sri Lanka, and so, uh, was it 12 years ago, like you first came to seminary, is that right? So 2010, yeah, 2010, he entered into seminary, uh, Lincoln sponsored two Sri Lankans at the time, uh, four in total later, a year later too, but he went into first theology when I went into first prethi, and so at our seminary at Mount St. Mary's in Maryland, uh, got to know each other for four years, and yeah, it's been a joy to have you back. Uh, I was surprised how many like old jokes that we had together. That was kind of, that's, it's been very fun. So he's here to serve in our diocese for three years, and we hope we get him for all three, but we'll see, you know, Holy Spirit. Uh, but yeah, we look forward to, yeah, anything that you can add to this. If you want to add anything to this too, that'd be great. Um, so tonight we're actually talking about introduction to the moral life. Uh, we're not getting into the nitty gritty specifics yet. Uh, later in this presentation, um, we'll talk about when we're going to talk about some pretty serious topics that affect everyone. Um, you know, what does Christian morality say um, about like recreational drug use? What if it's legal, but, you know, what does Christianity's Christian morals say about it? Um, you know, premarital sex, pornography. Um, what about like, and we all have this either as friends, I have a very close friend or in our families, someone with LGBTQ experiences, like what does Christianity say, say about that? And so while that's not specifically here tonight, um, I will be presenting on that in January. Um, so this is more of an introduction to what is morality in general, and then we'll get into specifics as we go on. Uh, we go back and forth between like a church teaching, like what is a saint, heaven and hell, um, to like what's a boots on the ground question you might have as a Christian. Uh, so we'll go back and forth. Um, just a, a mini plug uh, for morality. I taught morality to juniors in high school in our Catholic schools for six years. Um, and I And I always started off the morality class just by being honest with them. Um, when I was a late teen, I chose to essentially, by choose, I mean, there wasn't a hard set day, but leaving Christianity and leaving what Christ would say is a moral life, 
and then to return later in my 20s after kind of getting my questions answered and really discussing and with a, with a priest who could finally answer my questions I had about the church and about topics. Um, so it was, it was really good. So I always said I left the moral life so that I could save you guys the heartache of, of what you go through. Um, so we're not, uh, we're at a different stage here, but that was, that was very, uh, close to my heart juniors in high school. It's uh, it is a confusing time to be a teen. So the more we can support them the pray for them, the better, but that was always my introduction to my morality classes. I've cut and paste a lot from those classes. So they might seem a little immature at time, but, uh, I'm fine with it. Hopefully. All right, so let's just kind of really get into it. Uh, I would say the first part about Christian morality is kind of the misunderstandings that are there. Like people, people struggle with it. Um, so let's just let's just hit this one first. Let's just get into this. Um, it seems like morality is nothing but a list of don'ts: thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It can feel very burdensome to some people, especially when you're trying to introduce Jesus. It seems like we do it wrong as Christians when we try to introduce Jesus. And like before getting to the good stuff, we start with the stuff you can't do. Like, I think we just, we're just sharing him in maybe an improper order, which makes, which makes sense on some terms, but I hope today to unpack like why we do this. Uh, I would say the best analogy that we could kind of give um, the best analogy we could give is like, well, how do you teach someone basketball? Like, you know, someone tell me like, what's the first thing you would tell? And there's no right answer here. There's so many parts to basketball. What's, what's something you would say when you're trying to teach someone basketball? Dribble the ball. If you are trying to get from here to there, you can't hold it. You have to dribble the ball in order to get from here to there. What's like another one? What? Yeah, move your feet on defense. What's that? You got to pass the ball too. You have other teammates that you are playing with. If you are holding the ball the whole time, you are going to be collapsed on and you can't get anywhere. Move your feet on defense like that too. What about like if you're just teaching someone like the basics of basketball? Paul, put the ball. If you are doing it right, you're getting the ball in the hoop. And then another one, all these lines, right? Yeah. So part of when you're teaching basketball, it seems like there's a lot of do nots as well as do's, aren't there? So it's like a mixed bag when you're trying to convey the fun of it. If if you are standing, if you are sitting in a classroom going over the do's and do nots, does basketball seem very fun to you? No, it seems dry. It seems like, oh, I have to think about the rules the whole time. But then once you actually get on the court and experience it, that's when your heart comes alive and say like, okay, this, this is a good game. Uh, sorry if you don't like basketball. I like basketball. But, um, but I think the same thing happens with morality and Christianity in general. We talk about here are the good things that you should be doing. You know, help the poor, go to the soup kitchen. You see someone homeless, like just go in and buy them a meal, to ask them their name. So do this, do this. And then the do nots, do not lie, do not do this, uh, you know, in Lent, no meat on Fridays, just some, wait, that's random. Um, 
So it's a lot of do's and do nots. And when you're sitting in a classroom and you don't experience it, um, it seems very dry and burdensome. And so that's what I'm asking you to maybe hold in your heart right now as we talk about morality that we are going to talk about do's and do nots. And it might seem burdensome, it might seem dry, but if you follow it, um, as someone who, and other people have been here too, when you don't have morality, and then when you do have morality, uh, your experiences of joy are different. You, you, you change from a person who goes from pleasure to pleasure into someone who experiences deeper joy. And so it, it's learning about basketball versus actual applying, but that's kind of the, the first thing I wanted to convey about morality uh, in general. Again, um, and it happens when we're kids. I think a lot of people leave Christianity because they leave CCD after confirmation in fifth grade. And so then I meet a 35 year old who says, I had CCD up until when I was 12. And so I know exactly what the church teaches. And it's like, well, you may have had some classroom experience, but but did you have the real life boots on the ground encounter with Christ that we're trying to get there? So um, what are the benefits of moral life? We'll kind of get there. In short, our big concept when it comes to morality it does not start with the rules, but it actually starts with our hearts. Your heart was designed to be happy. Your heart was designed to be known and to be loved. And morality is actually a way to experience the reason for which your heart was designed and was created in the first place. And I know it seems like a big disconnect between do this and don't do that and experiencing happiness, but that's what we hope to connect here tonight. So as a starting principle, Christianity really is at its core, your heart was designed for happiness and happiness that never ends. In the end, that's, that's heaven itself, okay? So I would say that there's, if, if our hearts are designed for that, I would say that we have different definitions for happiness. Somewhere, someone in the church versus someone out in the street who's telling you what's going to make you happy or feel good. Okay. Because the Christian understands that we are not just body. I have a soul as well. That means our choices reflect that as well. Therefore, happiness is going to affect me on different levels. And I want to introduce to you something called the four levels of happiness right now. And this is based on the fact that we have not only a body, but we also have a soul. So let's just talk about the four levels of happiness just to see, like, how do I make choices to decide which level of happiness I'm shooting for? Okay. Okay. So the first level, the first level of happiness is material. Okay. Just straight up material. And this is like an external stimulation, and it really comes from when it interacts with one of your senses. You know, a scented candle, uh, a soft blanket. Someone gave Father Asitha two very soft blankets. I don't know how science has done it, but it, it's the softest thing I've ever felt in my life. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know how, but, but it's an immediate gratification. But the thing is with the level one happiness of material and interacting with your senses, it doesn't last long. It's like a just a hit of pleasure. Uh, anytime I taught in morality class, um, for me, like my level one happiness, I just always said is Chinese buffets. Um, I, I, I am happy at a Chinese buffet. I am level one happy at a Chinese buffet. Um, 
it's delicious. There are different flavors. Anyway, salt. Salt is my big thing. And you get to just skip the desserts. I've already kind of said. So that's a level one happiness. And um, so my sister, Elise, uh, the story I always use with level one happiness is that, um, you know, every now and then we're human. And so you need level one happiness every now and then. You're having a crummy day. Uh, every I, When I lived in Omaha, when I was an engineer still, and my sister, Elise, um, who's there, this is my ordination day, and these are two of my sisters. I, I love my sisters, I guess. Um, Elise uh, lived in town. I was an engineer. She was a student in college, and she would have a rough day. I'd have a rough day, and we would just call and say, like, hey, do you want to go eat your feelings? I was like, yes, yes, I do. Um, so one time we went to a frozen yogurt shop called uh, 16 Handles. That's, that's funny. Anyway, sorry. Only a certain age group is going to get that one, but 16 handles. And, you know, we were eating our feelings. We were just like had crummy days. We wanted some level one happiness, which is every now and then totally okay. Um, and when it came to the sprinkles, this is not an actual picture, but when it came to the sprinkles, she had the dish. She had the, you know, took the tube of sprinkles and it has that little top that you sprinkle through. She unscrewed the top and like started to pour them in. I was like, Elise, what? And she said, this is my day. This is my day. And so that was her level one happiness. She said, if I ever tell the frozen yogurt story, then I have to tell like, you know, she also lifts weights. Uh, she does CrossFit. She's a, a um, whatever the highest degree of black belt is. She reached that um, within her life. But but level one happiness, it's okay. You have, a, God gave you a body. And so you are to experience good things through it. So every now and then level one happiness is good. However, you can't stop there. And we'll, we'll, we'll see why here in a minute. But you can't stop at level one happiness. So does everyone kind of get level one happiness? It's pretty much the easiest, easiest thing. Um, I'd always have the teens kind of write out, what is your level one happiness? Very food-based. Uh, one girl was like new shoes. Um, yeah, it just is very, very basic. The second level is ego. Uh, this is happiness based upon success or competition. Uh, this is, it's attained and it sticks around a little bit better. You know, I have uh, a result from a competition, uh, self-esteem. This one sticks around a little bit more. You're done with the Chinese buffet and all of a sudden your stomach hurts and you're not as happy anymore. But say you competed, you won something, that glow of winning or doing something, accomplishing something lasts a little bit longer. Do you see how this is not on a material level, but it's starting to talk to your higher powers, your intellect and your emotions? Before the level one happiness just speaks to your body, you're done. This one is starting to speak to your emotions a little bit and your intellect. Like, okay, I have a little bit more talent in this area. I succeeded in something. Um, but operating in these first two desires, while they are good at certain points, they can't be your end all. What we see even nowadays is a lot of people with a, a moral standard of how do I get level one and two happiness at the cost of anything. And so it leads to kind of oppressing others. It leads to the idea of I, I rate other people. Um, in short, living for just the first two levels leaves you in competition with each other and leaves you as just kind of a me monster to get level one happiness and then 
competition against each other, which is just, I see others as threats the whole time. So does that kind of make sense why level one and two happiness, are, they're good things, but you can't live just for them. Um, yeah, I can check the, the other one here in a little bit. So the third one now deals more, we're starting to leave the body behind a little bit more. And we are talking more intellectual, emotional, and here's relationships. Your, this level of happiness that you attain from a good friendship, a deep connection, is something that gets you, th that level of happiness like lasts a lot longer. You can have a good week after a weekend with a best friend or getting away with your beloved. Um, level three happiness just kind of touches the rest of your life and you have like a background like, okay, I'm okay. You know, I'm dealing with something, but I'm okay. So relationships now deal with other people and a connection. You see the good in others and doing good for others as well. Okay, so that's the third level. Um, yeah. Why do we have to stop? Why can't we just stop here and seeing our happiness with connection with others? Um, there was a priest once who talked about marriage prep. And in marriage prep, he asked the couple like, you know, why are you, why are you getting married? And I think we're trained by uh, rom-coms to love this phrase, but he hates this phrase, or is it cautious of this phrase? When one of the others says that he or she completes me. I mean, we've heard that, right? That's like in every rom They complete me. Um, a Christian would say, like, it's, that's good, but... The problem with that phrase is someone completing you is that they have their own shortcomings. They're human just like you. They're not perfect, and so don't expect them to be perfect all the time in order to complete you. We humans, we, we have, I mean, we all fail in some way, and we'll talk about sin later, but um, we all fail. We all fall, fall short. So pinning your happiness on someone else who can have a bad day as well, it's actually not fair to them. They're just human too. So level three happiness is beautiful. It's a connection. That happiness lasts longer than the other two, but you can't stop there because that's another human and they're, they're dealing with their own stuff as well. Does that kind of make sense? Like why we can't stop at three? So if our hearts are designed for perfect happiness, we can't stop at three. Um, this is where we go to the fourth one, the divine. Um, have you also noticed, maybe maybe you've noticed, like divine is actually a connection with God, the one who is perfect, the one, you know, we've left, um, you know, incorporated because you are body and emotion, but now here we are intellect, soul, and on your deepest levels, you are connected with and affirmed. You are known and loved perfectly by God. And so this level of happiness is something that just pervades everything. Um, you really can go through the most devastating times, but somehow feel like things are going to be okay. Um, a priest brother of mine, uh, I was at uh, his grandma's funeral today. He um, he preached, he, he said the mass for his grandma's funeral. Very beautiful service. So even though he was sad, and I know the grandma, she was only 72, which is pretty young in my book still. Um, even though she was young and she was, 
she was like the matriarch of that family in such a beautiful way. Even though it was devastating and sad, they still had hope. They knew that this this was something that they are going to get through. Why? Because they had faith and a connection with God to say like, okay, this is not the end. We're going to survive. We'll keep going. Um, so our ultimate happiness really is found in this divine relationship because your desire to be complete and for happiness is only only uh, fulfilled here. Now, I hope you've kind of noticed that as we increase levels, we actually increase how hard it is to get them. Uh, Chinese buffet, I can drive five minutes and, and hit that one. Um, competition, I'd have to find something that I'm good at and compete against someone and win something. So that's a little harder. Uh, relationships, that's harder to work at because there's a whole nother person involved in that. And then in the divine, that means like I actually have to put in work to connect. And it's, you know, he's in, He's invisible, but he does speak to me. What does that look like? He writes to me in, in scripture. So that can be a little bit more difficult. So while it is the next level is harder to attain, it's the thing that is going to sustain you longer in your happiness. The easier it is to get, the quicker it goes away. The harder it is to get, the more it just changes your life in general. So those are the four levels of happiness. Are there any questions about that? Any live ones or any? Anonymous ones. Here we go. Okay, great. So this one is already talking about is it a mortal sin uh, to support abortion? We'll actually talk about that in uh, January when we get to the specifics, like the nitty gritty. Like we'll talk about. Um, so I think that is January. It's either the first week week we come back or the second one where we're actually gonna talk specifics like that. So thank you for the question, but we'll talk specifics of mor morality in, in January. So thank you for that. Yeah, any other live questions, one through four? Makes sense? Okay, awesome. Um, I say we kind of hit freedom and then we'll, we'll stand and stretch a little bit with that, okay? So, Christian morality has a different definition of happiness. Christian morality has a different definition of freedom. Okay. Um, I mean, you just, you, you tell me if I went out on the streets and asked the average person, what does freedom mean? What are some of the things I would say? What's freedom mean? Doing what you want. Is that fair enough? Like, essentially, I mean, it boils down to that, right? So, um, I'd say the average person's definition of freedom means I get more choices for me. My choices are not restricted. So that would be someone else's choice. And so their morality of good and bad re is reflective on that definition of freedom. So we would say from a Christian standpoint, this do whatever you feel, do whatever you want might be harmful to you. That's not a good, not a good rule to live by because you might end up addicted to something or another. Um, if you follow your passions every, every single time, you are going to end up captured in some sort of addiction in something. So our definition, I would say the Christian's definition of freedom is actually when when you are inclined to choose something that's better for you. So our definition of freedom is, I am free because I have an inclination or desire to choose something that's better for me. 
look at an example. Um, I think we all know people who love like their kale and chia seed salad. And they, my sister, Rebecca, is one of these. She was the other one there. She just like she she actually likes the disgusting healthy food that she eats and she chooses it. And she's like, well, the greasy stuff makes my stomach hurt. Like, yeah, but you got there by not eating greasy food for the longest time. So we would say that a free person would be to the point where they actually have an inclination to look at these pictures and be like, oh, man, look how green that that lettuce is. Let's go that way. Um, so a free person, you just have, does that make sense? Like you have an inclination, a desire to choose what's actually better for you. That is a free person. It's not just that I have more options, as, as we would say. So we know it's on. And then the opposite of freedom would be addiction. Addiction is the inclination to choose a short-term pleasure that hurts you in the long run. This definition where it's going to creep in again in a little bit, but we'll see. Um, you know, there are, whenever I would talk about any kind of addiction with the teens, we would talk about the genetic component to it as well. There's a huge genetic component. My parents are really, really good about sitting me down, even at age 10, at age 10 and saying, you have alcoholism on both sides of your family. Uh, what had happened, my uncle died of alcoholism, like when I was 10. And so they just sat me down and said, look, you know, you are 10. They explained it in terms for a 10 year old which is really good. But my parents are really good about saying, you have this genetic disposition on both sides, just warning you. So yes, there's a genetic component, but there is also the, uh, the choosing factor of starting something as well. So yeah, freedom, is that, a, that, that choice, that inclination? You have lived such a life that you are now, man, I really want the thing that's good for me. I'm gonna choose the thing that's good for me. Uh, we'll get to all of these again next semester. Uh, yeah, because a lot of times we just think Catholicism is, well, actually, let me just get to the sin section and, and you'll see what people think Catholicism is. Um, in short, like your, your decisions that you make in the past, even emotions are habit forming. We are such habitual creatures, us humans. If you reacted with anger to a situation, you are more inclined to act with anger in a similar situation in the future. I'm not just, yeah, habitual is not just biting your nails, but it's like, how do you respond to a certain situation is how you are more inclined to respond to a situation in the future. So if you can somehow choose better when confronted with something, you'll find that in the future, it gets easier and easier. Um, in other words, like the, the snowball rolling down the hill really is this moral inertia um, that is there. And I think that that person just dies. I don't know. Um, the snowball, the choices you make really are, the small things really are important. Because if you choose to lie in little ways, your knee-jerk reaction when confronted with something bigger is to, is to lie then. So if you are choosing correct little moral things, when you are confronted with something larger, you'll have a better inclination to choose what's, what's better uh, in the end, okay? Um, I would say the, hopefully this is kind of making sense. So 
I always would show this video as well. Um, can you actually hit the lights? That'd be great. The kiddo doesn't mind. Um, you know, when we just follow our passions, we're more animalistic. I mean, because we are an animal with an intellect and a soul. So we do have an animalistic component to us. But I would always show my class, like, how do you trap a monkey in colonial times? And it really is like, boils down to your passions. There's no sound. It's not a talkie, because this is from 1912. Is that right, I think? So in order to capture them alive, the natives employ strategies which consists of putting fruit in a calabash. So putting fruit in a calabash. This calabash is then fixed in a prominent position on a tree frequented by the monkeys. Attracted by the bait, the monkey inserts his hand in the calabash and seizes the fruit. He does not realize that he must open his hand and abandon the booty, his booty, before he can withdraw it from the calabash. The kids would always laugh at booty. Owing to his own cupidity or stupidity, he would rather be caught than to lose that fruit. So simply, when they're caught like this, you just walk up, capture them. The monkey is more like man in body and lives than use than the use he makes of them. That's ooh, that's very very poignant. Um, so I hope you see that when I'm. Thank you if we could have the lights again. Um, although this is a cool. But no, um, when we teach morality, we want you more free. How do we get you more free? We get you choosing what's best for you. Being captured li like this monkey because he, you know, he went in and grabbed and a fist is larger than, you know, the open hand, a fist is larger in circumference. So can't get it out. It's a great analogy for what we humans do. If we choose something just because our passions or we just want it, I really, really just want it. In the end, it does capture us in a way. And that's what Christ is saying morality is. He wants you free from this stuff on earth. You know, the stuff on earth is nice and it can support you. And when you're having a rough day, a good Chinese buffet and sprinkles are great, but if they are all your happiness, you will be caught by them. And Christ is saying, your, your heart was designed for so much more. Here's how we get you there with good moral choices. All right, so any questions or anything before we take a short break? Oh, okay. How about we just take a short break? We'll be back. Uh, it is... 6.33, let's come back at 6.37, and we'll just do like two shorter breaks or something. Okay, I'm going to turn this...